Hey everyone, this is Coach Mark Nolan with another episode of Don't Outkick Your Coverage. And we are looking forward to having an awesome other year. Our first guest in 2024 is, uh, is Dennis Belisle and uh, his counterpart, uh, Kimberly Flowers. Uh, they're out of the California area and uh, they're going to talk a lot today about, you know, not just the parent involvement, but the student-athlete environment and some of the amazing things they're doing both on the psychological and physical and emotional side of the house, as you know, many of us athletes face from the time where U7 through to, to you know, U70, if you will. Um, and with that, I want to introduce uh, uh, Dennis and Kimberly to our, to our podcast, Don't I Kick Your Coverage. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we are the only podcast truly dedicated 100% to the parents of high school athletes and yes, to the parents themselves. So please, whatever you want to do, show us your likes and your posts and your five stars, nine stars, 48 stars, how many you want to do on our podcast series, and we'll get rocking and rolling. How's that? That's Dennis awesome. Kimberly, welcome to our podcast. Hey, thank you. We're excited to be here, Mark. Thank you. Okay, so listen, um, one of the things I always try to focus on when I have guests on like yourself is really focus on the roles that you guys do every day with your clients. Uh, some of us, our clients are our parents because they're paying the bill. Some of our clients are the kids because we're trying to help them through some life lessons or we're trying to help them manage an injury they just had or we're trying to help them with some of the school choices they want to go to. So, you know, Dennis, I'll ask you and uh, Kimberly, either one, take this on. Um, why did you guys start on this journey or wanting to help young athletes out and others that, that, that you treat in your practice? Uh, well, for me, the answer is uh, pretty simple, Mark. Um, I started coaching uh, at age 15, and I was very intrigued by how some athletes learn and, most importantly, how information transfers from a learning environment to the performance setting. And seeing some athletes that just totally get it and they and you can see that they get the momentum early and they get uh, their mental skills lined up and their ability to learn early while others just struggle and seem to just make small, small steps while others just you can see that they have more momentum, more momentum and movement early. Mm -hmm. OK. Uh, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. You know, you can just see that as some people can get into the flow state early while others just keep hitting barriers and can't take steps forward. Yeah. And I'll let Kimberly elaborate on that a little yes. bit more. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for having us. Um, you know, You're my welcome. story is I started sports kind of late, like my freshman year in high school. I was a foster child. I wasn't allowed to play sports. I had asthma. And for me, sports changed my entire life. Went from a playing freshman to playing varsity to making all team to playing college sports to playing pro sports. And now I'm a marriage family therapist. And what I see a lot is a lot of athletes coming through the door um, because of my sports background. Parents are bringing their athletes in thinking that I can connect with them better. And what I see are a lot of athletes with social anxiety, anxiety, perfor perfectionism, wow. and, uh, I help athletes as far as their game, as far as making good choices in regards to being um, how difficult it is these days to be a teenager. And then I also help uh, athletes that are trying to get to D1 
and also transitioning out of D1 or sports, playing all of their lights, competing all their lights and then lives. And then they have an injury or they go into the real world and are having a difficult transition. So the majority of my practice is athletes, is first responders and uh, physicians and nurses. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, I, you, you're talking about the perfectionism side of the house. You know, I, most of the kids I train and I, you know, I, my focus in the last 49 years has been a lot of different sports, but primarily soccer and football. Um, but the ones that I really focus now have been mostly on the soccer, I mean, on the football side, but you know, when they miss a ball, I, I'll, I'll tell them like, you know what? The last perfect person on this earth was Jesus Christ. And they put him on a cross over 2000 years ago. <laughs> so you're not going to be perfect you know, but you have to practice perfectly. You know, you right. have to do the things every day. That's weight conditioning, proper nutrition, hydration, all the things totally. we do that have to go on. And, and I think sadly, sometimes moms and dads, you know, they just don't know where to start. You know, they, they and a lot of times, and I hate to say this, but my empirical data says that when I have athletes that are doing well in high school, if their parents were involved in something and sports or something like that, as they went through their high school and college journey, those kids seem to be a little more balanced. And I don't, I don't mean to say that the parents who didn't play sports in high school aren't balanced. It just, that's a, it's a different, you know, it's a, there's a different association with those two. So uh, I don't know if you experienced that both Dennis and Kimberly and, and the athletes you, you talk with. No, absolutely. In fact, just recently, I met uh, a couple of athletes just very recently that said exactly what you hit on right there. Uh, they both played college baseball. And the one boy told me he just got drafted by the Yankees. And I asked him, well, how do you how do you focus on your mental game? He goes, oh, my dad had me focusing on that when I was nine years old. There you go. There you go. And it's like, That's there you have it. There you go. And um, I also think that learning early to play sports, you, you commit to something bigger than yourself. You commit to your team, you commit to your self-care, to your discipline, you learn how to set goals. All of that is so important in regards to the big picture. You know, so you're learning that early versus I'm just going to go to my room and bed rot and watch Netflix and, you know, YouTube. You're learning that you have to, you know, uh, compartmentalize. You got to be able to do your homework. You got to be able to be a family member. You got to be part of a team. You got to train. So you learn how to do all of those skills. No, you're you're exactly right, Kimberly. Uh, you know, uh, before I retired, I had a, I was a technology guy and, and ended up selling the company. Um, and one of the things when I used to hire people, uh, we had a hundred. Uh, so we I think we had eighty three people when we when we sold the company. Um, but when I used to interview salespeople, I would say to them, you know, did you guys play a sport in high school or in college? No, no, I was kind of a loner. I'm like, okay, we like you in the band. Or are you on the chess club or yeah. oh, doing no. some drama? Anything. Nothing, right? right? And if they say no, I'm like, I'm sorry, I you know, that's not it's not the place for you. You know, we we love to have people that have that it's a team environment. You know, we're all together trying to get this company to hundred million dollars. And you know, the more loners we see out there, right? The the less they're involved in wanting to help us all be successful because they're more of the me, they're more the me person, right? Um, but that, that's how I looked at hiring people. It's like, I, I have to have somebody that, that has a sense of community about them, yes. whether it's an athlete, whether it's a business person, whether you're in the military, whatever it is, you have to have that yeah. sense. 
a team yeah. player. For Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too, is that's transferable in regards to so many people, I say adults that aren't athletes and they don't know, they don't have hobbies or they don't have things to do. They don't know what to do in their free time. So it's a lot of scrolling. It's a lot of, I don't know what to do. I work all the time because I don't have hobbies. I don't have a sport. And the one thing I say when people move to a new town or want to meet people organically is get into your hobby, get into your sport, get to your activity, because that's the best way to linger and make friendships. Oh, exactly. You're exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. So yeah. how did you guys get into the business? I mean, from the standpoint of what was there, what was your call to action, if you will, of how you got into the business and the mental care and, and why? Mark, uh, I was working uh, for an MLS club out in the Southwest and some parents have saw me coaching and working with their young athletes in the 10 and 11 year old age group. And finally, one parent pulled me aside and said he wanted to have coffee one day. And he said, Dennis, you need to start a business focusing on the mental side of sports for parents and athletes. And that's essentially what triggered me to move forward on this was just a conversation I had with an intelligent parent that said they recognized that I had an idea and uh, I, I had a little bit of insight and a gift. And that was really the impetus for getting this going for me personally. Very cool. Kimberly, how about yourself? Just, just, I had already been, you know, I've been in practice for 30 years. So I'd already been seeing a lot of athletes, but they're okay. coming in for a variety of issues. It wasn't so much focused on their sports performance, but it was focused on, you know, their peers, their depression, their anxiety, their perfectionism, their self-esteem stuff. So then it's got more honed in. I still do that, but the two of us together actually get athletes to come in, whether it's mountain bikers, skiers, we have softball, volleyball players that are sports specific to help them in their competitions. And, you know, the underbelly of that is there's other stuff going on there too. So I was already doing that. Wow. And, and because I am so heavily, you know, I have that in my background, coaching, playing, being an athlete, that, that, that was a natural transition. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, it's, again, we, we wouldn't have that when we were growing up, and I'm, I'm older than both of you, you're lucky. You guys are both in your 30s or 40s. I'm, I'm <laughs> you're so too funny. Thank you, kind. I'll be 69, you know, in two months or, or three months. So you know, uh, we didn't have that back then. You know, we had like get the hell out and go play football and you know basketball, baseball. My mom Tough always it up, right? my mom was like, if you come in the house, I'm gonna put you to work. You're either cleaning the screens out, you're cleaning the floors, or you can go outside and play. So our choices were pretty easy. Inside meant work, you know, from a slave driver and my mother and seven, kids, <laughs> you know, or outside going out and hanging out with my friends until, you know, my, my and until the lights came on, we went in for dinner. So um, what is your, what is your fit? You know, what is your favorite part of your job? And then the least part, the least favorite part of your job, if I may ask. Uh, to me, my favorite part of this job is just when you see the light go on for an athlete. And, and they have that aha moment, that clarity. Because you know when that light comes on, it comes on forever. For me, that's that's my juice. Boy, that's awesome. Yeah. Kimberly, how about yourself? Uh, for me, you know, what I what I teach over and over again is helping people reset, is getting into their flow state and reset, whether it's their negative thinking, how do they get into their power position, how do they build their confidence, but be able to reset and change their focus changes your life. So it's really about changing your focus and how do you reset when you're kind of in the tank, when you're, you know, mentally down, how do you reset to get back into that, that confident position? 
And that's 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 transferable in everything, whether it's public speaking, whether it's life, whether it's a deadline, whatever. How do you get out of that? I'm lacking motivation. I'm negative. How do you reset? Okay. All right. Um, so what's the least favorite part of your job? Uh, the, the least favorite part or the part that pains me the most is seeing parents create interference for the athlete. And, and trying to navigate that uh, from an athletic perspective. And we're, we're seeing that kind of uh, on a widespread basis these days. You know, in the system we work with, Mark, performance equals potential minus interference. I'm seeing a lot of parents that are directly interfering with the ability for their athletes to get clarity and resonation and how to actually have fun in a sports experience. Uh, one, one of the main aspects that we're seeing now is that uh, parents aren't allowing their athletes to fail. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're thinking that failure is very, very valuable. Mm -hmm. Yep. Amen. Uh, Kimberly, how about yourself? <clears throat> Mine, uh, you know, for me, because I tend to be a little bit more impatient and I'm, I'm very action motivated. So for me, it's this being stuck and repeating the same thing over and over again without the insight to do corrective behavior and to 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 do that. So I, I try to teach it and people people like to get kind of in their in their rumination and stuck down their you know rabbit hole. And for me, that's it's so easy, you know, when I when you begin to do it, it becomes a habit to be able to do that. So for me, I, I find that that's that's uh, probably the hardest part because I just want to share how to do this. Right. how to reset right and you find you get uh, you get a uh, pushback from the parents when you try to interject into some of your views of the world or are they receptive to your to your views oh well i i had a real interesting thing happen on my soccer team very recently right that um a lot of parents and old school coaches think that winning is the most important thing and that that the outcome is more important than the process and that's a real problematic situation that both Kimberly and I are seeing in sports. You know, that parents are actually setting the foundation for these failures of uh, putting the outcome before the actual process. Yeah. 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 I, I find that I, I'm not on, I, I don't coach anymore. Like I, you know, I was a high school volleyball coach. I don't coach per se. I'm working on this aspect with my, with my patients and clients. And I don't really get that much pushback because the parents are looking, they're hiring me to work with their kids and this aspect. So they're very much for me, you know, receptive to what I'm saying to them. And I don't find them very intrusive in my mind. They're letting me, you know, help and help shape and mold their athlete and their child. They want what's best for their kids. You know, he's different because he's, he's on the coaching side of it. So he's right. about, you know, kind of the playing time. What's called, what do I do with that for me? You know, I'm not in on the field with these kids. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So what is the one idea that experts um, in, in our field say that you disagree with, with the mental training and strength and conditioning side and, and how you look at this situation and its effects uh, on them as athletes? You want to take this one? Go ahead. The, the, the one thing that we're really seeing is that uh, the old school coaches methodology is that mental skills training is only for elite athletes. We're taking a whole different approach to that. We figure that mental skills training is important for every athlete, no matter what level they are in their sports experience.
and that the lessons to be learned in sports are invaluable. And the only way to learn these lessons is to be part of teams, to be part of a noble cause bigger than yourself, to learn to sacrifice, to be a good teammate. And uh, the, the lessons that we learn in sports go way beyond the sports landscape themselves because they become life lessons, whether you're, uh, you know, taking a bar exam, uh, working in politics, trying to create a business structure, that these lessons have uh, a lot of value outside of the sports environment, Mark. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, that goes, that's, you know, transferable also to individual athletes. You know, there's something about, uh, you know, competing against the field or doing your best performance, trying to figure out how do you get in your peak flow, you know, to do your very best. And sometimes uh, your failure or taking seconds or not winning, you know, creates the baselines on what you want to improve on and the clarity of where you want to go. Like that doesn't feel good. So this is what I need to do to improve. Right. Right. Okay. You know, you know, there, there are, of course, many others who focus on different things and procedures, you know, in the area of athletes, mental side of the game and, and care. And, and how do you focus over one or the other? For instance, do you look at things like uh, the different mental stages of an athlete, how they go through things, you know, pre-injury, post-injury, um, and, and how they struggle from that, how they handle that. Um, what, where do you see where some of the things that you guys do helps your athletes become more prepared, whether it's, you know, like when we came out of COVID, we went, you know, we went from being complete lockdown to not doing anything to all of a sudden going, okay, we're going to go full bore. We're going to go from one pendulum to the other pendulum. So what are some of the more common mental types of conditions that you treat athletes for and why do they come to you? Uh, what, what, we, what we see a lot is anxiety. I mean, there's just a lot of anxiety and fear, fear of failure, fear of disappointing the parents, fear of disappointing their team, of making mistakes. But, you know, the underbelly of that is anxiety and fear. So, you know, we, we see a lot of that and you have to treat that, which is partly what we're trying to do is so saying like, there's good anxiety. It's good to have butterflies. Yeah. It's good to be nervous. It's good to be jittery. You know, all of that is prepping you. You know, we talk about how to get through what is so-called negative emotions. You know, there is no negative emotions. Every emotion is, is motivating you towards an action. Mm. Mm-hmm. So anxiety or fear is about how do you get more prepared? How do you self-soothe? How do you, you know, talk yourself out of a, a negative mindset? Sure. You know, the other thing, when you talk about injuries, absolutely, that's huge. I see so many athletes that are coming out of injuries or missing their seasons, whether they have concussions, whether they have ACLs. You know, I myself, when I was doing adventure tra- racing, I was in a fatal car accident. I went out the sunroof at 90 miles an hour and hurt myself and was trying to train four months later for a race. I had five ACLs. I get, I get what it is like to be an athlete and wanting to move and, and getting injured and how hard it is to come back and, and feel like you're going to lose your spot. You know, I'm not strong enough, how you got to prep, how you got to train, how you do, how to do PT correct. Like there's a huge mental component to that. Yes. Yeah. And being, being kind to yourself in regards to, you know, pushing, but also being kind to yourself in regards to you, you have to rehab, you have to recover, you have to train smart. Right. Have a plan. Have a plan. Have a plan. Okay. Yeah. To me, the quickest way to be defeated is not to have a plan. Sure. 
Sure. You know, and Kimberly, you brought up the uh, fear. So I'm sure you both know Tony Robbins. Uh, Tony's an old old friend of mine. And we literally did, we firewalked uh, in New York City at two o'clock in the morning back in 1986. Uh, And fear stands for false evidence appearing real. So, you know, if I, if I didn't believe the things I believed in going through uh, NLP and the things that I've had my life experiences, you know, I wouldn't be able to jump out of planes. I wouldn't have been able to become an army ranger. I wouldn't have been able to do the things I did in sports or help myself out. Right. Uh, so those, those fears sometimes really aren't, aren't really fears. We, you know, there was a study that said, you know, by a child, by the time a child is three and a half years old, they heard the word no 250,000 times. You know, so that's a pretty big negative. And, you know, there's some studies that said, do you focus on less negatives or more positives? And I'm always right. interested, you know, I always hear people, oh, definitely more positives. And the studies actually show the other way, that the less negatives you can focus on, the better you're going to be. Um, Absolutely. Interesting stuff, right? So if you had the attention of the whole athletic youth sports world for five minutes, and youth could all... Look, youth to me at almost 70 would be anybody in their 40s, right? So, yes. Um, what in five minutes, what would you say to them? The sports world that includes parents, grandma and grandpa, Uncle Jim and Aunt Harriet, and all the company. What would you say to them? Is what I would say is that uh, ABC Mental Toughness is about building confidence and getting to the flow state. Okay. And, and that's the holy grail for performance. And the flow state equals fearless. It equals confidence. It equals relentless. It equals emotional intelligence. It equals critical thinking, focus, and narrowing skills. And and those, I think, are what you need to put your effort into. Learning new skills, maximum effort, and just being relentless about your mental game. And how do you get there? How, how do you use that? Is that a flow chart that you come up with somewhere along the line? Or is there a, a model that you have a framework of that flow, you know, out? It's like, you know, playing soccer. Do we build it from the back or do we start? Where do we where do we take that flow from and how do we get that flow to achieve our, our success? Well, we use the race formula. R-A-C-E. R stands for relentless for the change you want to drive for yourself. That you're you're not going to give in to the outcome before you execute the process. The A stands for the awareness of what your actual interference is. The clarity, uh, the C stands for the clarity of mastering the emotional states. Like Kimberly said earlier, there's no such thing as bad emotions. Okay. And the, the E stands for just that, um, ability to have the the awareness the clarity the the everlasting ability to just push through and be consistent and stay in there long enough before you choose the avoidance path to get to the outcome you want it to to be delivered to so right. we realize we utilize that race formula very cool Right. And then we're we're always evaluating, right? There's always the rituals of decanting and evaluating for the athlete, which I think are the most important ones, post-training and post-performance, post-injury, uh, that evaluation process, tracking that you're having, uh, you're actually setting, um, you're setting emotional goals, you're setting awareness goals, 
and you're moving towards them in your evaluation process. Very cool. Kimberly, anything you want to add there? Yeah, I would. I would say that, you know, if I was talking to sports uh, parents or athletes, I'd say just give it a try. It doesn't matter whether, you know, we all start off somewhere. So there's something very um, great about exploring and starting something over. You know, a lot of people don't want to do sports because they're terrible at them or I don't want to learn a new sport. But there's, you know, the way to uh, to the antidote to apathy is to start something new, is to do something new. So learning about yourself, being being not good at something is a great way to do that. Having uh, being fearless in regards to starting something new and being able to do something that you're not good at because you have a baseline for achieving new things, starting new things. Because, you know, if you're an athlete or a performer and you retire out of that, you're going to have to have something else, you know? So it's always good to be able to transition into something new. And what I would say also is that anything that is fun short-term is probably not great for you long-term like sports, like habits, bad habits, anything that is hard uh, long-term is probably good for you. Very good for you. Like eating well, like exercising, all of that. So you're learning the difference between quick fixes and long-term, you know, gratification. Yes. Very, 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 very true. Amen. Those points. Um, So if if you had a gigantic billboard, uh, like anywhere with anything on it, you know, metaphorically speaking, and, and getting a message to millions or even billions of folks, what would it say and why? Uh, I think this is one of the most important challenges of our time here. You know, we're going to see uh, the future through the young people's eyes, right? Um, so, again, I think it's all about uh, getting to your ideal performance state, your flow state. And realizing that the most important things we can do are are give ourselves the tools to uh, handle challenges, embrace the things that make us uncomfortable, Mark, because only by embracing the things that make us uncomfortable are we going to be able to overcome them, like anxiety, perfectionism, addictions, uh, bad decision-making, okay? For myself, the biggest cop-out is perfectionism and wanting to be perfect. Like you said earlier, the last person that we both know that that happened to, he got nailed to the cross, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think that's, and, and Kimberly, I'll let you chime in on, you know, what your billboard would be. But I would, you know, my, my big thing is I would say it's more to the parents. I used to say, like, um, drink less caffeine. Uh, <laughs> because, yeah. Know, Every soccer match I go to, I was, you know, I was an R5. So every time I go out to the soccer pitch, you know, I see the parents out there and they have their Starbucks six pump, venti mocha stirred coffee with, you know, everything else going on. They have their clock, they got the whistle on, they got, you know, they got their stop band, stopwatch, everything else. And I would literally say to them, moms and dads, listen, um, just let you know, uh, I'm, I'm referee Nolan and this is the dictatorship out here. Okay. So you can holler, you can scream, you can do what you want to do. But for the next 90 minutes or so during this match, I'm a dictator. So I'm, I may look at you. I said, but I have two things for you. I have a yellow card and a red card. So hopefully nobody here is colorblind. Um, so you all get a nice yellow card right now for being part of this experience. So yes. I would start with them. And it would literally, it would help set the stage 
to help the youth out, you know, because, you know, the kids know it. The, the kids usually look over at their parents and go, dad, mom, really? I mean, come on. You know? So that, that would be my billboard uh, of yep. just drink less caffeine. Um, yep. <laughs> Mark, my bill, my, our billboard would simply say ABC mental toughness. Your job as a sports parent is to be on the support team and call us at 941-800-7140 and let us handle the most important part and just sit back and enjoy your child's career because it's going to be short. It is. It is. Now, do you really think that parents can sit back and enjoy their son or daughter's um, athletic endeavors? Only a small percentage can do it. Yeah. I think I find that the parents, the parents who are a little bit more um, clueless or weren't like athletes and trying to live, you know, vicariously through their kids are the ones that enjoy their kids. They love seeing the growth and watching them out there. I think the ones that think that they know it all and are like, you know, coaches are the ones that have a harder time and are in angst watching their kids perform. They have big expectations for their kids. That's very true. Very true. And not just the big expectations, they're constantly dumping on their kids without the child asking for their advice. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and that and that makes the kids feel burnt out. Yeah. I mean I can I, I go back to it. the billboard for a second? Oh, Absolutely. Okay, because that was it's a little bit worried. But... So it's your billboard, okay. so you can put whatever you so, want on it. All right. ABC mental toughness, getting to your flow state by building confidence, setting goals, resilience, fortitude overcoming setbacks. I I love that flow. I I mean, I think you guys should, guys, gals, I think that both of you or whomever in your organization, I think you should make that a trademark or something that you put into a framework series for whatever sport the parents are in and the kids. And I, and I say this only after 49 years of coaching. Uh, so, you know, I, I say that because I I have seen parents throughout my life. I started coaching, you know, a baseball team. I was, I think the Bad News Bears was originally based on <laughs> me being a baseball coach in my small town in New Jersey. Yeah. When the mayor came to me and said, Hey, would you would you want to coach a baseball team? You were pretty good in baseball growing up. And I was in I was home from college and I said, sure. Because he said to me, Hey, guess what? You're going to get a free hot dog after the game, maybe a couple of <laughs> beers upstairs. I'm like, dude, I'm in, right? And then I would immediately see the parents, you know, in the stands. What's wrong with you? And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, it's Friday night. I should be out drinking with the bar at the at the bar with buddies of mine. And here I am, I got a bunch of nine and ten year old kids that are clueless, and their parents are hollering at me. So I'm like, I'm not gonna do this anymore. So I literally would tell parents, okay, I walked over to the sidelines, called timeout, and said, all right, mom's dead, uh, Mr. Smith. You got fourth inning. You're going to be on first base. You're going to be on third base. <laughs> this is Jones. You got fifth inning and you got you're in third base. And this is, you know, right. and I did that and it, it usually shut them down a little bit, but I don't think it's sad to say, and I say sad to say, because we've, you know, the three of us have lived through this as athletes ourselves and through injuries and things like that. And it was a challenge. So I think that flow that you have, I think you should have one for parents and one for the athletes. That that would be my personal recommendation for the for 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 those for you guys. Uh, and I say you guys great. being a collective, you guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, great feedback. Thank you. Yeah, we love that. 
Thank you. Are there any yeah. quotes that you think about uh, often or live by, live your life by, uh, or have in your practice to help inspire you and your staff and your staff to include your, your clients? Yes. Uh, my favorite quote of all time is, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. You know what's funny about that quote, Dennis? In my, okay, so I have to give a plug for my number one best-selling book, right? International <laughs> best-selling book, right? And I have a copy of it right here. Oh, good. That you can see. I love him. College Athletic Scholarships, right? The Path oh, to nice. Success in the New Age of NIL, the Transfer Portal and Post-COVID Scholarships. Um, in my forward, in my book, I talk about Alice in Wonderland. And where Alice walks up to the Cheshire cat who's sitting on a you know stone lot and says, hey, she says, where do these two roads go? And the Cheshire cat says, well, where do you want to go? And yeah. Alice says, oh, I don't care where I go. Cheshire cat says, then it doesn't matter what road you take. And that oh, was that's, that's literally in the, the third page of my book of what I talk about. And I, and I make that in re relation to high school parents and athletes about not knowing what road they want to take because the only road they believe has to be taken is a D1 or bust, which I think is sad. Yeah. So, um, Kimberly, how about yourself? Any quotes for you? I like that one too. I also like, you know, wherever you go, there you are. There you are. Because people, people think it's a geographic, like, you know, they don't realize that they have to shift internally. They, you know, they think like, oh, if I go here, then maybe this will happen. If I go right. here, this will happen. Or if I get out of this, it'll happen. It's like, no, wherever you go, there you are. And the change has to be intrinsic and has to be internal. Doesn't mean, you know, if you keep going out there and repeating the same things, you get the same outcomes. So you got to change it from inside. That's so true. And, you know, it, and Dennis, you know, you and I can appreciate this both being soccer coaches, you know, it's like, okay, um, our son's a goalkeeper and we're going to, he wants to move from one club to another. And then the, the coaches try to get the whole team to come over and join you. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Oh, yes. If we were dysfunctional as a team over here and we're moving to another club and we're taking the majority of them with us, why would we want to do that? We're still going to be dysfunctional over there. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, but they, they wanted to believe that it's all about, you know, the words like elite and the stars and premier or academy, you know, we didn't have those words growing up. You know, we, we just didn't, we had all-star teams. We had all state, we had all Americans, of course. Right. But yep. you know, I, I saw, I met a kid maybe seven or eight months ago. He was the Bronco bull riding world champion at eight years old. The buckle oh, wow. on his pants was bigger than his whole stomach. Than his head. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh my goodness gracious. So, you know, um, so here's the question. Here's another question that might maybe be good for you. What is, um, what is one unusual habit or absurd thing that you love about this business that helps to drive you? Well, one of the most absurd things uh, that I've encountered is when a child is on the field and they're focused on their parent on the sideline, judging the depth or level of their approval. Amen. That's that's the pinnacle, I think, of absurdity where the parent has influenced themselves in such a way that the child is so insecure that he has to constantly be trying to get the validation from the caregiver. Mm -hmm. 
without relying on his own mechanisms or abilities to handle what's in front of them. Yeah, and Dennis, do you see that on a? Do you see that as in ten percent, fifty percent, seventy-five percent? Do you see it as they get older, they get less involved in looking over at mom and dad every three seconds, or how do you view that? I, I see it with with ten-year-old athletes and seventeen-year-old athletes, and I would say it's close to about forty-seven, fifty percent. Wow. Okay, so that's a pretty big swing right there, right? Just. You know, like I said, I was working for a big MLS club in the Southwest, and I saw this every day, that the parents weren't relying on the coaching staff. They were relying on their own influence over their young child. Oh, yeah, we see that a lot. We, we do see and, that and, a lot. And I, and I just try to tell the parents, like, you can trust me. I've been doing this for 45 years, Okay surrender your child to this experience or this is going to be the outcome and do they listen to you no yeah. <laughs> see so you, know, you can, can say you can say 45 years and they probably heard 45 minutes yeah because can you I, know they, they have their own mindset of what they're what they you know perceive that they do now and you know it's funny because when i wrote this is my third book i wrote when i wrote my first book um uh, it was on technology and the first book was about when I became that expert, I was like, I'm not an expert. And the guy goes, no, dude, when you write a book, you become an expert. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. And sadly, and, and sure enough, I started getting speaking engagements. And this is back in 1992 or 91. Uh, so it, it does help when you have either that PhD in front of your name or after your name or whatever else it was going to be. And how many times do you, say something to a to a kid and the parent will turn around and say to you oh my god coach i just told him the exact same thing i'm like well the difference is you know i'm a paid coach and you're not you're you're the parent and you know i have the kids my don't listen kids. to their parents that much anyways you what i said kids don't listen to their parents that no, much anyways no, they yeah no, you're right my, our son finally <laughs> who's 27 now or 28 finally said dad i had no idea how smart you were until i got married like okay exactly uh and our daughter the same way she she's 31 so she's learning how me my 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 task is simple i've been married 35 years and people ask me you know how did i go through this i'm like well it's pretty simple i just say yes to my wife and then i don't have to worry about it (laughs) happy wife happy life that's it uh so speaking of speaking of that the next question which is how has failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success not that i'm equating my wife buying more things with a failure. Uh, but so what do you, what do you think has set you up for success as you, you know, had like, like a Michael Jordan moment where he got cut from the basketball team as a, uh, I think a freshman on the, on the JV team and became one of the greatest uh, basketball players ever. Well, my, my major failure is that I know nothing about digital marketing and uh, that has been a failure is what it has done. It's driven me to, reach out and network and get on TV stations and get on podcasts and create a podcast to network with people and just create a pathway that all this important information can be shared now with parents and young athletes. And I think this is like a call to arms for myself personally. Sure. And uh, as I get a little older, this is the juice that just makes me want to punch above my weight and have a crater size impact, Mark. 
Good. Well, um, welcome to the welcome to the club, right? Welcome to the club. I uh, I had you know when I retired, I had no I had no idea what a podcast was. I mean, I knew about it, right? But I was I was happily retired. I'd sold my company. I was chilling out. I was training like 25, 26 kids. Had a couple NFL guys. I was still helping, mostly college guys. And then when COVID hit, and I said, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to get back into this thing. I mean, I'm going to start challenging what the NCAA did." I'm gonna, so I'm gonna write another book. I'm like, what the hell am I writing a book for? I should be, I'm like, I'm almost, I'm almost 90. I should be like playing pickleball every day, hanging out with my, you know, my buddies, giving war stories, right? Whatever. But here I am writing a book and then learning how to do this thing called podcasting and then learning how this digital media is set up. Uh, you know, it just changes your whole dynamics. But I think because Dennis, of the passion that you bring to the table along with Kimberly, you know, you, you'll overcome that you'll, and I'll be glad to do whatever I can to help you out with the people that I've, I've come in through with like a company called click funnels, which is just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff they've done to help me with my digital marketing side of the house. Um, mm. So how about a failure for your standpoint that became a success for you, Kimberly? You know, I think I, I'm pretty scrappy. So, you know, I kind of grew up as an orphan in a foster family, begging to play sports, lots of injuries. And what I find is it makes me more relatable. Some of these big things that have happened to me, you know, whether it's accidents, whether it's growing up by myself, whether it's playing sports, whether it's being, at, you know, the injuries, it makes me more relatable. I think people like to think that you know what you're talking about and have some empathy and can get what they're talking about. So for me, I feel like that has just helped me in regards to being, um, you know, some of the things that I hear is how inspirational, you know, my life is. And it's like, you know, because I keep doing what I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm 56. I still keep doing what I'm doing and I'm pretty broken. You know, just to piggyback on the last thing that we were talking about in regards to um, what's the unusual habit, you know, or the absurd habit that you find that people do. What I find is people get really locked down on the rumination about their negative thinking, you know, whether it's a breakup, whether it's their injury, whether it's their failure. And, and what I like to say is that, man, you know, your thoughts are limitless. You know, you have a choice in regards to thinking that, you know, and going on and on and on about that. Sometimes people are like, I can't do anything different. I can't, you know, I have this intrusive thought. I can't do anything about it. And it's like, all you got to do is shift it to something that's more reasonable, that's more realistic or more optimistic or even what you want and everything changes. And so that's a, that's the kind of a value that I live by. And that's what I try to teach. And when I talk about my failures and I use those as examples, I don't really think they're failures. I think they've kind of shaped me into who I am and to be a great teacher. Like sure. I use those as teaching moments. Sure. Yeah. And, and I, the, I think the keyword I used was apparent failure. You know, when some people look <clears> at <throat> failure differently, like my friend Al Vaughn, who was a foster child uh, like yourself, um, he and I have been friends almost 60 years. He was in high school. He set the record. He did 3,333 sit-ups in one day in high school. Still to this, to this day. Is a record. Wow. He is, I bet he was sore. And you should look <laughs> him up. He is 72 years old now. Uh, he is the only nine-time, nine-time Mr. Universe bodybuilding champion. Still to this day, competes wow. competes against 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds. Uh, he just won his ninth Mr. Universe title, and it's you know it's steroid-free. Uh, you know wow. he's he's had he's a world war he's a he's a vet he's a Vietnam veteran he has some Agent Orange stuff going on you know a couple of the operations like me and us but I think some of us that were old school 
you know, just didn't have a failure. That word failure wasn't even in our mindset. It was okay. I growing experiences. Fixed, and I'm gonna I'm gonna move on now. You yeah. know, if I don't move on, little John is gonna take my spot. I can't. Let that <laughs> you know? Yep. Uh, Absolutely. So we got a couple left um, in in the last five years, and I think this is where the heart of both pre and then post COVID uh, has has encompassed a lot of the things we do in our belief structures these days. What new belief or behaviors or habits has has most improved your practice? And even more so, what do you think high school athletes and their parents will need to focus on? Okay, I'll take this one. You know, for me, um, you know, professionally, COVID's been a game changer. So I went from having a a physical practice to remote. And and for me, the access is I can I can access people across the country in other countries, you know, via remote virtual sessions. And that's been a game changer professionally. Um, you know, we, we didn't have those kind of standards. We had to see everybody face to face. Now it's all remote for me. And it's been amazing for me. What I see is it's, it's been a detriment for for kids. You know, I'm speaking of my own kids, even that are 21, 23 for anybody in the 2019, you know, high school finishing high school or didn't get to go to high school and college and had to you know spend all of their college years remote, it's been detrimental as far as work ethic, as far as study habits, as far as being able to turn off the video to learning and not be not actually even attend, as far as cheating, as far as AI plagiarism, as far as just sitting in your room, not being social, not having to hustle, not having to go to work, not having to get a job, not having to play your sports, getting to play your sports, you know. All of that has been very detrimental. And I think it's been really detrimental to the boys that are coming out of that. I think the, the girls are, are a little bit more focused. The boys who, you know, have turned to video gaming, to sitting in their rooms, you know, and their only outlets, you know, might have been the sports or learning how to, to study. You know, they, they go off to college and a lot of them don't know how to study or they're just not you know, equipped with the skills to study and get through it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been really hard. And I think that, you know, monitoring the screen time you know, from COVID and the game time and the lack of social interactions has been really detrimental, really hard. Yeah. Amen. There's a, you know, there's a study that, and and again, I'm not a big proponent of the NCAA, but they do some things that are study related that are helpful. But, you know, one of the things that they did recently, I want to say back in uh, 2018 or 17, was they looked at you know, the 198,000 or so kids that go to play college sports in the United States, and then they go into college. And a third of those women quit their sport by their sophomore year. And 26% of the males quit their job, quit their uh, sport um, in by their second year. And you know what the one, one re- the major reason was? Both the same, but both differently. Um, the women's believe that, you know what, we got so much more social pressures on us as women, you know, we're, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to date this person or that person, or I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get new helpful. I had the same set of friends from kindergarten through, you know, college. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in college. I got a whole new set of people from different social and economic backgrounds that are all thrown into this you know, this new pond that I'm playing in. And, the social they, said, media. and they said men, they said boys typically uh, growing up have a little better relationship earlier on, but 
they they go and they decompartmentalize by the time they're juniors and seniors in in college. So he says, you know, those those two first those first two years going away from mom and dad sometimes for the first time, um, going away further away, you know, going from say uh, New Jersey to Indiana from Notre Dame or from Jersey to California, you know, they have impacts on those kids. And yes. so sometimes it, it does help the, the, the kids out because they're like, Hey, I'm going to go as far away from my parents as possible. You know, that wasn't my case, but I do know some kids have told me that, you know, like, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get away. I'm going to, if I can get a, if I can get a gig at university of Alaska, I'm going That's to, right. I know my mom and dad will never go out there. I'm like, okay, well, good for you. You know? Uh, so, but a lot of those kids didn't even get that, you know, they, they, no. they, they didn't get to play their sports if they were scholarship no. bound, you know, if they, uh, you know, didn't get to go to in-person, you know, yep. didn't get to, you know, learn to socialize. So they missed it. They had a gap of like three yep. years of all this yep. social development, you know, and then it turned to social media. It's been really difficult for a lot of kids. And you know what? And that's what um, Emma O'Donnell, Dennis, you saw my podcast with her or listened to it. You know, she she really focuses on the mental side of the of the, the not and not so much the athlete, just the team themselves, right? Yes. <clears throat> Takes she peels away the athlete side of the house and says, let's let's look at the whole human being of yes. how they're dealing with things. And then when we add either sports to it or other things to it, how does that affect them uh, and their parents? So um Yeah, for a lot of these kids that you know, the sports is you know, it's kind of a luxury item, right? And then sometimes, you know, parents are saying, focus on this and they have all this underbelly of all these other issues that they need to be addressed, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure, Dennis, you have athletes that play multiple sports or uh, Kimberly, the ones you work with that play multiple sports. You know, sometimes sports themselves uh, can be uh, a way to get away from their parents. Yes. Um, you know, with with all of a sudden, hey, dad, you don't worry about taking me to the game. I'll, I'll take a ride with Jimmy or Johnny you know, to the game. Um, so speaking of parents on this side and, you know, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, know that we're not trying to harangue or be nasty to the parents because we love parents. You know, we, we we're parents. You know, we yes. we want right. to we want to do what's best. We're not trying to be negative. We're trying to just give you some real life examples of things that we come across on a day-to-day basis. So what would you tell parents and the high school athletes, you know, to get into the game of a proper mental side of the game? Would it be just as simple as saying, hey, here's this flow. And if you can follow this flow process, your mental game will be so much more different and your physical part of your game will be so much more different if you can have those two, you know, merge together, if you will. Want to take that one? Um, I would say hire us, <laughs> hire an expert, hire somebody that, uh, wrong with that. You know, that's weird. Yeah, you know, find find the lamppost that's going to lead the way. You know, and hire hire us or hire an expert in the you know your your child's uh, your athletes. I'm going to say a child. That your child's mental health is so important. You know, and you know, of course, the sports part of it is really important too. But there, you know, like you said earlier in this podcast, which is that. So many parents aren't attuned and checked into their kids, you know? Yeah. So, and, and then the kids go to the room and they get depressed and they, you know, don't, don't have anybody to talk to, like have somebody, have a place where your kids can talk about things and talk about their achievements and their failures and their fears. It's really important. Sure. Uh, Dennis. Yeah. I'd say success leaves clues. 
And is what I mean by that is you have to actually be really careful as a parent as to how you're shaping uh, the environment for your young athlete, your beliefs, your thoughts, your emotions, your perspectives. And uh, I've got a couple of great stories about parent-child relationships, obviously, like all of us have. But as you know from sports, like I do, and Kimberly knows, when you're in the flow state and you're out there experiencing everything, and I'm talking everything that sports has to offer, the smells, the sounds, the tastes, the feelings, there's nothing like it in this universe. True. And only if your child has the strategies and perspectives can they only have a chance to flourish in that tiny little holy grail. And to me, that's the greatest gift a parent can give their child is the ability to just sample that and live that and try to saturate their being with that feeling. Well, you're, you're so spot on. You know, I had, uh, Dennis, you know, uh, I went through my KMVB license, which is an awesome license. If you ever get a chance to take one, you should. But the Dutch I love style, Holland. Yeah, the Dutch style of, and I don't want to say parenting because I, I don't want to go that way. But uh, when when uh, Jurgen came over to teach us, there was 20 of us. And uh, you had to have your B license to be part of this group. And there was about 20 of us that came from all parts. And we actually had in Atlanta, uh, and uh, I took him to our club where I was at DOC. I was, it was called NASA, North Atlanta Soccer Association uh, on the young side. And he came to a couple of games and then he left with me and we went over to start coaching. In the car, he said to me, you know what's wrong with you American uh, parents, uh, sports people? I was like, I'm sure you could write a book about it, but no, go ahead and tell him. <laughs> you, guys. Well, you, got the wrong, you got the wrong people coaching at the youth level. I was like, what does that mean? He goes, I saw four or five names of parents that were clearly they weren't licensed coaches. You know, a couple of them were big and overweight or just didn't look like they didn't know how to dribble a soccer ball, whatever, right? And, uh, you know, a couple of them were, you know, and these are wrecked parents, nothing wrong with that. But he says, in Holland, our strongest national licensed coaches are at the U6 to U10. I'm like, that's just, an, that's, Shaping them. that's just an amazing thing to say. Because you know what, Dennis? We as coaches, we want to go to the score to shore. We want to go to the surf cup. We want to go to Disney, you know, and we want to go and do those things when our kids are U15, U16, U17, U18. And Jurgen's point was, no, you know, those coaches, when you go there, they should sit on a chair and just maybe make one or two assessments, reactions, time a five second you know, whistle over here or a two minute discussion at halftime. And I thought, wow, that is so, that is so amazing that this guy brought this to my attention. And I had been a B-level coach, right? All those years. And I didn't see this. So we were just trying to put, as we used to talk about putting, you know, butts in seats, you know, we were just trying to find out if we could get a parent to help us out to help teach little Johnny and Janie in the youth smidgets league. Right not realizing that were we really helping our kids out, you know, through their, through, through that transition. So I don't know how you feel about that, but that was. absolutely, Yeah. Well, I, you know, uh, I was lucky enough to go to the IAX uh, Academy oh, for okay. some, uh, some coaching education also. Mm-hmm. And I got to see a tryout for the U16 boys team. 
there's kids there from Germany, Brazil, Holland, England. And the, the great thing about it is here we have parents watching soccer practices. There, there weren't parents at this tryout. That's right. Mm -hmm. And there was a sign on the side of the field that said, silence, if you're sitting in the stands. We're running an evaluation today. Mm -hmm. And here in this country, we just don't understand a perspective like that. Or we don't understand the vision, vision on what child development and player development looks like. You're right. And I think that's where we have the most to learn. You're right. And, you, and Jurgen actually said that. He said, you know, when people come by, they drop the kids off in Holland. They drop the kids off. And then we send them a note when the, the, the practice is over. You can come around, pick up your child again. But no, we're not going to sit and talk to the coach. You're not going to do any interaction. You're not going to try to talk about playing time and stuff like that. And I thought that was such, that was such, so amazing. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story because we, we, uh, we do have a, a good amount of time left. But I'll tell you a quick story. You mentioned long snappers early on, Dennis. I was at the Oklahoma yes. camp. Well, this is probably 15 years ago. Um, when, when back then we used to be able to do coaches, right? We used to do coaches at camps. And there's a long snap mom who is out there. Now there's a mom. I didn't know she was a long snapping mom, but I'm like taking the jersey <laughs> small, medium, large, right? And all of a sudden I hear this lady go out, yo, Johnny, you better get that snap down right now. I'm like, what the heck is that? So I turn around <laughs> and the lady says to me, and what's your problem? I said, I, I don't have a problem. I, I just <laughs> didn't know that you were a long snapping coach. That's cool. <laughs> we're short one or two long snapping coaches that you want to come out and help us out? That's great. The son comes running out of nowhere. Mom, mom, get the heck away from here. Stop it. Leave me alone. He walks around and goes, sorry, Coach Nolan. I, I'm like, hey, that's cool. No, no worries. But, you know, it, it's it's that kind of thing that, uh, and I used to videotape parents. I used to videotape parents on the sidelines during a game. Oh, wow. And then, Monday, and then on Monday nights, I would send out to, a note to all the coaches. Hey, by the way, we're going to show the Scorpions against the Gazelles and the, you know, the U-Time 10 Buffaloes playing against the, you know, Elks over here, right? And the first, <laughs> the first five minutes, Dennis and Kimberly, would be the video of the parents going, are you kidding me? He wasn't <laughs> offside. What the hell? Was <gasps> and the parents going, uh. Was that me? Like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's you. That's you, you crazy lady. You crazy man. <laughs> Dennis, Dennis has a very similar role that he's told me about when he's coaching, which is like that the parents aren't allowed on the field or on the sidelines or, you know, standing around the practices. Yeah, he makes them leave. Yeah, we have the parent line. <laughs> that's good. We used to call it, we used to call it the ESPN zone. So if you, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you didn't play in college or in high school, you couldn't be on the ESPN zone. You had to sit yeah. Great. <laughs> so you have to have fun sometimes. Uh, with, you you uh, do. People. Because that's why we're in it. I'm in it to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. to and to grow as well. And and to make a difference in the kids' lives. I mean, yeah, and to teach so these young we, kids, right? We really do make a difference in kids' lives when we help them out. Um right. so here's I think the last one or two questions are basically as you know, as we move away from the training and um spring or coming to spring from fall and winter. Um, are there various strength conditioning coaches, high school coaches that you view are good for the kids or different things that they do that you would say you shouldn't do that? And, and I say this sometimes, and I'll have to say that 
you know, I'm a big FMS guy. So I'm a big functional movement guy. I love FMS, great cook stuff he's done. But, you know, there's still are those coaches from the 60s and 70s that are out there that are the strength and conditioning coach that's 450 pounds that's trying to tell you your son or daughter, they got to weight, got to put 5,000 pounds on their benches and stuff like that. So what, what do you do from a standpoint of, you know, lifting or um, single leg Bulgarian leg squats or things that you think have worked for you guys in your, uh, in your practices? You know, when I was working for that MLS Academy in the Southwest, we got to work with Mark Verstegen at Exos. Okay. Mm-hmm. And right then you get to see like what cutting edge training yeah. actually looks like, yeah. you know, way beyond even a periodized explanation of it, yeah. just a way more sophisticated, modern way of physically preparing the athlete. Now on the other side of that coin is you have to have that side, right. But you also have to have the mental game, right. And it might even be more important coach. Uh, the, the mental side I think it is actually more important than the physical side, the technical, the tactical side. And uh, I I think that this is uh, what we have to be focusing our energy on is these strategies and perspectives to develop the, uh, the, the between the ears game. Yes. No, I, I, and Kimberly, you, you can probably add a lot to that side as well just on the, the mental techniques and the things that you see with your clients. Yeah. We, you know, oftentimes when we're talking to our athletes, you know, we'll talk about, you know, how they rate themselves, like as far as physicality, where do you think you are with your, your peers? And then tactically, are you coachable? Do you, do you get what, you know, do you get the strategy? Do you get the tactics? And then the other part is the mental. And so many people don't work on their mental game. It's like, well, I have this, I have this, but then they get out there and they, you know, they go in the tank or they have, you know, they're not there. They have negative self-talk or whatever. So we, we think that that's just as important. And the other thing is, um, you know, I think a lot of the, the, the training is, is based on, you know, winning the game and being this thing. And I remember when my kids played football, it's like, they come home and they grunt at the table, like, that's your, that's you know, just like these coaches, like just scream at their kids. And why, and when I see a lot of athletes, you know, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of college uh, volleyball and basketball players and gymnasts, and they talk about how negative their coaches are, how yeah. shaming, how belittling, how critical they are and how they yeah. hate the coaches. And it's kind of t- taking the the love out of the game, you know, so we're trying to focus on getting back into the why you're doing this, because if you don't know why you're doing it and you can't, you know, reset and focus on why you love the game, it's not worth it. You know, especially if you have a horrible coach, you know, or somebody who's just yelling at you about, you know that stuff and not, not working on the mental game at all. So it's so important. Amen. I mean, I think in your, in your, I keep on going back to your flow, you know, I, 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 there almost seems like you have to have a mental flow as well to go along with the physical flow of the game, you know, because, you know, as you you and I both know, you know, the flow of a, of any game is, has ebbs and tides for going back and forth, you know, and the more. When you have to tap in while you're doing it, while you love it. Yeah, that, why are you there? That's exactly why you're there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Why are you there doing these things? And you know, I mean, that's that's what comes down to when you look at the negativity of some of the coaches. It's 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 imperative that if the coaches are being negative, that's when a lot of the parents start interacting, right? Uh and I my point to uh one of the coachings, uh one of the coaches I worked with in high school was that you know what? I, I have an hour and a half one 
once every two weeks to work with these kids as kickers and punters. You get them, you know, five days a week from early July through the end of November, December. And, you know, so you're on their case every day, five days a week, two, two and a half hours every day. So just think about those, you know, I said, and I said this guy, I said, the reason why we call you the head coach is not to get in the kids' heads. <laughs> he, he loved it. He was like, I have never heard that before. And I've been coaching 40 years. I'm like, cool. Uh, so he liked that. I was like, yeah, but you're the, you're the head of the organization. you got to set the example how the rest of us do it. And if you don't set that example, then you can't harangue the other coaches for doing it. You know, and so that's that pretty much ends our conversation about, you know, the mental and physical side of the house. So I want to I really want to. Can, can I add one more thing, Mark? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. OK, uh, you know, the other thing that, you know, is really important is when we're when we're working with our athletes, we fill in the gaps a little bit, which is it's more than the mental. We can look at their whole training protocol and see what's missing. For instance, we had a, we have mountain bikers and we can talk about sometimes it's the parents like we just want them to win, win, win. And it's like, well, you don't understand about your base work, your build, your peaking, and we can fill in the gaps that way because we're both athletes, you know, or get say, you know, what are you doing in the off season? Are you doing the strength training, you know, and then you're working on the mental thing. And really important is like helping athletes uh, set specific goals for themselves because it's, you know, it's kind of like atomic habits. It's if you set like specific goals for you, your trajectory goes, you know, a different place versus, you know, I'm just doing the same thing. It's like setting uh, specific goals weekly in regards to how are you going to improve it? And that's part of the mental game. Setting smart goals. Smart goals. Smart goals. Right. And exactly. And that, that, that comes down to, you know, how many people actually do the smart goals, you know, uh, but you know, as a society, every January, we say, we're going to lose weight. We're going to get, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, the, for 30 days. I mean, that's where, I don't know if you know that, uh, there was a marketing study done and they came up with the 30 day guarantee because they knew that when, when people would do something new, they would try it for 30 days. So they say, we're going to give you a 30 day guarantee. Well, on the 31st day, of course, what happens? They stop training. They stop doing right. their stuff. And guess what? That Peloton bike that you spent a thousand dollars with, guess what's doing now? It's, it's, it's the coat hanger rack for your dresses. Yep. Sure, it's anything right. else, right? So yep. um, the question is, the last really two questions are, wh what can people expect from you and your organization next? And, you know, any new things in your practice that you're excited about uh, that you are lining up in your area and, and other areas? You know, the, be the best service we offer is uh, a 90-day chance for us to really get to know your child, find what their beliefs are, find what their interference is, as to and really communicate with them as a whole person. And then take the next 90 days to cement that so that it becomes your DNA, your new code of how you're going to operate moving forward. So we like to offer a 180-day program where we meet with the athlete for 40 minutes to an hour once a week and get them to focus on some activities, strategies, and perspectives that deliver them to the outcome they desire, Mark. Okay. Are, are they are they all Zoom calls? Or are they one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls or face-to-face -face locally? Or how do you set them up? Well, typically, uh, like for instance, we have athletes that we're working with in Florida now and in different states. 
So typically those are done on a Zoom platform. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're, we're taking some new clients here in California where we are going to meet them face to face. We are going to go and see them perform in the arena so we can see their body language uh, in person. You know, today we can look at how athletes are competing. We can watch them via video in Florida and Arizona or at the MLS Next events or things like that. But we try to do as much in person as we can, but also we're taking advantage of the technologies that allow us to have a bigger reach. Oh, absolutely. And make it, and make it convenient for their schedule. So many people now like the convenience of, of Zoom because they can do it like, oh, I just got in for practice. I just, you know, I'm doing that between classes. So there's that flexibility with that as well. Yes. No, and the other thing is point. if they're nearer us in regions, you know, for instance, we like to go to their events. You know, we like to go to Sac State basketball games. We like to go to you and our, you know, football. We like to go to soccer games. So if they're close, go to ski races, go to mountain bike races. It's fun to go watch that and see how they're performing. And we like to add, you know, one of the, the key components when I say fill in the gaps is we find that a lot of times athletes don't have a pre-game or a pre-week you know, training ritual. And it's so important to have the ritual. The greats always have a ritual of what they do to prime themselves to perform. So we help with that ritual. That's really important. That, that's, that's awesome. We, uh, we, we, we uh, came up with my friend Alvon and I, we came up with two guides, two training guides we recently did. Well, not recently, but we just redid them. Uh, but we have a training guide for nutrition. It's a nutritional base for high school athletes because I think most of them are clueless. Um, that they, they don't know what, you know, really what training is. And then we have the other extreme. Sometimes you have mom and dads that think their kids are chickens and they, <laughs> should, they can only eat, you know, little pebbles every, you know, day. Um, and then we have a weight training program, a two and four week weight training program that's just driven just to help the athletes out. But this is not about me. It's about you guys. So uh, where, where can people go to learn more about your company? So we can, we can start having, uh, I can send out some more notes for you. Is there a website you guys have that looks like it's a, uh, is there a combined one or a single one or both or what is it? Uh, the reality is I threw up a website that's not really functional due to my lack of digital expertise. And we'd like people to just call us. Okay. And what's that number? And, and you could also use my website too, which is KimberlyFlowers.com. KimberlyFlowers.com. Okay. Yeah. L-I-E. Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-I-E. Flowers.com. That's the way to access us and then call us. And uh, our ABC Mental Toughness, we took down and we're revamping that. So at the, at the moment, that's it's getting redone. Okay. All right. Um, so. Uh, the phone number. Yeah. My, my phone number is 941-800-800. 7140. Seven, okay. And we've got some great references from parents that we've worked with. We've got some great feedback from professional tennis players, stock car racers, soccer parents, and uh, mountain bikers, skiers, volleyball, softball, basketball players. Yeah. One of the funnest things that I've ever had happen was one of the players in that academy I was working with in the Southwest. After we started working with this one athlete on the team, a 10-year-old boy came up who had an older brother on the team. And he goes, coach, coach, I got to tell you, Kyle just doesn't even walk the same anymore. What'd you do to him? 
And that's the kind of feedback that gets us so pumped up. That's nice. That's very, that's, that's very, that's awesome. Um, so what, what is the one final thought that you want to leave us with our listeners with today? If there is one. Kimberly, I'll let you start. I just think it's so important, you know, as far as the versatility and uh, the, the, you know, raising your, your athlete to be, uh, you know, a citizen as well. I think the big picture and the whole package is really important. And the mental game is part of that. You know, if you, if you um, can't overcome adversity and be critical and do critical thinking and have some emotional intelligence, you know, that's a win-win. That's a win-win for your athlete for their future progress as a person, for their team, for the planet. I think that that's big picture. That's a win. Okay. Dennis, how about yourself? Uh, my final thought would be that as a parent, you have to allow your child to be surrendered to the experience that you're trying to provide for them. That means allowing them to learn how to embrace everything in order to overcome it, Mark. Okay. Uh, so, I want to thank Dennis and Kimberly so much for the discussion today. And it's been, uh, it's been very, very good to listen to some of your thoughts on how athletes are trying to, you know, get the chasm and the parents of just trying to get to that next level. And I, I want to thank both of you for, for attending. I want to thank everyone on this podcast who's been listening to, to it. And please feel free to share this with all your friends and family. Uh, we're on 30 different platforms. Uh, and until next time, please everyone, I wanna make sure you understand that we call it Do Not Kick Your Coverage because we don't want you to go too much, too far with the ball getting returned. That's our whole goal. So thanks very much, everyone. Have a great day. Uh, and we'll talk on you on the other side, okay?